So, Noah, looking back on Saturday at Bridgeport Stadium, was there a certain point in time where you knew that game was over? Yeah, basically, I'd say the first drive. Oh, yeah. The yeah. first drive, three for three passing from Tudson Teo, a touchdown to Chris Thornton. I think, you know, that that's all, all she wrote after that. Yeah, we're, we're I'm Shane Metlin here with Noah Fleischman. This is a Purple and Bold podcast. Looking back at Saturday, 63-7 victory from JMU over visiting Norfolk State. Dukes have a bye week coming up, but after that, it's Appalachian State in Boone. Uh, may have heard some big things happening with the Mountaineers here lately. So it's going to be a big one. And for the most part, JMU avoided the you know trap game mentality, avoided most of the mental mistakes. There were some Saturday against Norfolk State, but they were, for the most part, pretty sharp what you would expect and hope for playing an overmatched FCS opponent. What was your main concern after watching that game? Given the score, 63-7, game was completely out of hand early on. Was there anything that made you scratch your head about that one? Yeah, it was a little bit in, in the cornerback play. I mean, 63-7, you know, you look at it you're like, wow, they played a really good game, which they did, but at times it, it wasn't. And, I mean, Norfolk State – First play of the second half, scoring a busted coverage because there's some miscommunication in the secondary. Um, you know, they found success kind of passing with the one-on-one fades kind of with Xavier Coakley at times, and, and he really got picked on. And it wasn't his best game. Obviously, had a safety the week before, but this week wasn't his best game. And and what, what the bright spot that came out of that, though, is toward the end of the first half, Signetti takes Coakley out and puts in a true freshman. And he puts Chauncey Logan from Salem high school in Salem, Virginia, and he goes in there and basically the first series he's in, he gets picked on in the end zone, breaks up a pass to end the first half, and he ended up playing the rest of the second half as well, and I think, you know, that's a bright spot to look at this kid who they're high on. They thought he could compete for a starting spot. He got hurt in camp a little bit, only he missed most of practice, practice the last two weeks, and yesterday or Saturday was his debut with JMU, so I see, you know, a bigger role coming from him possibly down the road, but, you know, it's a bright spot to look at after it was a shaky start there from the from the secondary. Yeah, if you'd have mentioned, if you'd have asked me in July if there was a freshman, a true freshman cornerback who would get a lot of playing time, I would have said Chauncey Logan. Um, then in the meantime, Brent Austin kind of jumped up into that role too. Uh, like you said, Logan missed some time in preseason and is just now kind of getting back to there, and looked pretty solid yeah in, in um you know his what ended up being his debut against norfolk state obviously the competition and the challenge is going to get tougher for him but like you said he came out and you know probably outplayed xavier coakley who started the game and um i guess for the most part like you got to be pretty satisfied to see some depth developing there um given the given the concerns going into the season just what you have a quarterback and the inexperience yeah, I mean, in the second half, you had two freshman cornerbacks on the field for JMU with Brent Austin and Chauncey Logan, and I think that's a positive sign to look at down the road is you're getting these young guys a lot of reps. I mean, Brent Austin has had the most snaps of any guy in the secondary, any cornerback, really anyone in the secondary, but he leads the cornerbacks in snaps, I think just over 80 snaps through two games. Obviously, garbage time toward the ends, but they're leaving him in. They want him to get the reps. They want him to, you know, learn because at the end of the day, he's not a highly recruited guy coming out of high school, and we talked about him last week, but... You know, I think he's got a shot to really make an impact on this team, and, and he's shown so far he can do that. I mean, he's only allowed, I think, one reception so far, and, and Chauncey Logan on the other side was targeted three or four times and, and didn't allow anything. So I think, you know, that's a positive 
to see from two freshmen. Even though you're playing an FCS opponent, I mean, it's still college reps that it's a totally different speed of the game than it is in high school. Yeah, and you look at the Norfolk State game, the vast majority of their offense came on the 90-yard touchdown the first play of the yeah. second half. Um, it wasn't even that they got burned. He let the guy go. He seemed to, like, be convinced there was a safety <laughs> back there or something like to take him. Um, so just complete, you know, breakdown of the coverage there. Given that, how much concern – I mean, do you – obviously, seeing that 90-yard play was ugly. Yeah. Is it something you get too concerned about because, you know, that's a pretty easy fix, like, know what coverage you're in. <laughs> um, but there were also some times where maybe some Norfolk State receivers were open deep, just didn't complete the pass, similar to Middle Tennessee State. Are we going to start to see those passes get completed against better teams? Yes. I mean, these are things that, you know, it's, it's growing pains, right, with an inexperienced secondary at times and guys that, you know, they're older players. They just haven't had as much reps as, you know, some of the guys last year that they lost in the secondary. But, you know, it'll be a rude awakening with Chase Bryce next week if, if they leave some of these receivers open at App State because he, unlike Otto Coons or, um, or Chase Cunningham at Middle Tennessee, like, He'll make the pass, and, and you'll feel it on the back end. I mean, they're going to have some big plays if that happens. So I think, you know, JMU's going to try to tighten up their coverage a little more. They play a lot of press coverage already, but I think you're definitely going to see the communication getting better on that end of the side. And, and you really you start letting them get open, it's going to be it's gonna be a bad day for you. And we're talking about concerns in a situation where, for the start of the first two weeks of the season, the other offense essentially has not moved the ball. They can't run the ball at all. Um, They've only had – Combined, what, Middle Tennessee had one drive that went well and they scored a touchdown? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'd have to go back and look, but, I mean, we're talking probably like, you know, a handful of first downs, essentially, yeah. in the first two weeks of the season. So, how much of a concern is it? Like, you know, you're not going to hold most of the Sunbelt teams to 100 yards total offense, which is essentially what they've done if you take away that one big play. Uh, you know... So how big of a deal is it when they start completing some of those passes? Are they first downs? Are they touchdowns? Or, you know, are you going to be that upset if, you know, Appalachian State moves the chains? Or is this defense going to be able to kind of bend but not break when they get into more pressure situations? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely that, you know. Uh, I mean, some of these throws that you've seen quarterbacks overthrow, they definitely could have been a touchdown, right? You've seen guys get pretty open and the ball goes through their hands or it's just out in front of them and they can't get to it. But... I think, you know, more than likely they'll end up turning into kind of big plays, but not a touchdown. So you might pick up 20, 30 yards on the play and, and move the chains. And this is a JMU defense that hasn't really played against with its back against the wall yet, right? Most of the time they've spent on the opposing team side of 50. And it'll be an interesting test, I guess. We'll talk about it more next week. But it'll be an interesting test against App State if that if, when, if App State can put together some drives and you're playing down by the 20 in the right zone and you're going to have to try to put up a stop. And I think we haven't really seen JMU's defense contested like that yet. Yeah. So we went searching for something negative to talk about there in the 63-7 victory. Um, we will turn to what was good. You know, Todd Santeo continued to look like a all-conference type quarterback his first couple of games. And all three quarterbacks got a chance to play and do some things. Billy Atkins, you know, got a touchdown pass. You know, Alonzo Barnett sort of showed that he's got a similar style to Todd Santeo, being able to run some of those RPOs and things like that. Um, just looking at the 
looking at the quarterbacks in the passing game, just tell me your overall impressions, if you can take anything away from a team that couldn't compete with JMU in that regard. Yeah, I mean, Tatsun Teo looked like Tatsun Teo from week one. Obviously, he came out firing, three for three on the first drive, touchdown. Um, three touchdowns in the first half for him, 165 yards. He only needed to play the first half in that game. You know, Billy Atkins came in the second half, and he looked really good. I mean, he had one completion, but it was a wide-open Terrence Green that he just dropped the ball. And I think, you know, he, he had 40-something yards and a touchdown. So good showing from him. And then Alonzo came in at the end, and it was pouring down rain. And he had one one pass completion for 14 yards. He ran the ball a few times. Really not a lot to do when it's pouring rain and you're up by so much. But I think, you know, Tonson Taylor's got the opportunity to really make an impact in this league. And, you know, he's PFF's highest-rated passer in all of FBS football, everything. And so, you know, he's got the highest quarterback rating as well in the Sun Belt. And I think – It'll be different now. You're going to be playing some actual defenses. I mean, Middle Tennessee's defense was, we thought would put up a, a fight, but, you know, it didn't really. And we, Norfolk State didn't really either. App State will be that first test for him. And, and if he plays like he has the last two weeks against good defense, I think, you know, it might put the Sun Belt on notice. Yeah. And you mentioned um, Billy Atkins really should have had, you know, around 100 yards passing and two touchdowns in a little over a quarter's work. Um, which is pretty a pretty impressive showing for his really his first extended look at him. He he would go in for like maybe a series um, last season. Didn't get a lot of work and usually handed the ball off. Uh, so he he looked impressive in you know really kind of his first live action in front of in front of a crowd. Um, you, you mentioned the Middle Tennessee State's defense. Were you surprised when we start looking at the scoreboard around the country <laughs> on Saturday and it's what twenty seven to nothing? Uh, Middle Tennessee State ahead of Colorado State. How much did that shock you after seeing JMU just completely dominate that team? Either Middle Tennessee woke up or Colorado State is just really bad. <laughs> I mean, possibly a combination of both, I think. Um, that's, But, I mean, at the same time, Colorado State's in the Mountain West. And I know there's some teams in the Mountain West that are not good. Colorado State is a program that has some resources, a devoted fan base, if Colorado State is that bad, Colorado State should not be that bad. And maybe they are right now. It's, you know, transition year for them. But I do have to think, you know, maybe Middle Tennessee State is a little bit better. And right now, you know, Jamie's done everything they could in the first two weeks to show that they're ready for the challenges that lie ahead of them. They have. And we, we heard about it after the game. You know, everyone's excited to play in middle, an Appalachian State. I can't talk today, but, you know. It's going to be their first challenge, first Sun Belt game, first road game of the year. It's a sold-out crowd with 30,000 people there. And when you look at it, James Carpenter said it best. You know, this is the reason why they, they college football players want to play college football. It's the reason why they, they want to make this move to the FBS is you're going to be playing really good teams. And App State went from a, a 63-61 shootout with UNC to a 17-14 game with Texas A&M, I think it was. And they let A&M get over the 50 twice into the last drive, and then they put something together. So, I mean, like, Appalachian State figured it out defensively between weeks, and now to be a, a case of can JMU figure out their defense and move the ball. Yeah. We'll talk about um, wide receivers a little bit. Chris Thornton, another 100-yard multi-touchdown game for him. Yep. You know, he's on pace to have an insane season if he keeps putting up these kinds of numbers, um, which is not surprising. We, we mentioned Terrence Green. It's off to a little bit of a slow start, dropped some passes. Um 
I think you've got to expect you'll get more out of him as the season goes along. They didn't suit up Reggie Brown. Uh, Devin Ravenel kind of steps up and makes some plays. It's looking like a pretty solid wide receiver group, you know, even after, you know, seeing a guy like Antoine Wells leave the program and then blow up for South Carolina this week. Um, it doesn't seem like they took much of a step back in that department, which it's, it's probably not a huge surprise, but anytime you lose a guy of that caliber, it's got to be nice to see some depth at wide receiver. Yeah, you, you talk about Chris Thornton not being a surprise, but I think it kind of is a surprise, not the fact that he can't do it, but the fact he's finding his way to get open as much as he is against these teams where he's obviously a wide receiver one. I mean, coming into the year and after his first game, you think that Norfolk State would try to do a little more. He still had over 100 yards. His, his first time in his career where he puts up back-to-back 100-yard games, he's got five touchdowns for the first two weeks. I mean, dude is insane right now. And I think that that's kind of surprising, the fact that you look him down the field, Santeo goes through the reads, and all of a sudden Thornton's breaking open, and it's like, how is he this wide open? And I don't think we'll see that against Appalachian State or any really anyone else on this schedule. Is They'll probably find ways to, to double cover him and do other things. So you want to see more from a guy like Reggie Brown, Devin Ravenel, or Terrence Green. But for now, Chris Thornton, he's he's on his pace to, to get like you know close to 1,200, 1,300 yards this year. But I would have thought that a middle Tennessee would have come into the game here thinking, okay, this is the guy we can't let get open, and he was constantly wide open it, in that game. Like, Yeah, and they, they also came into it thinking there would be a pocket passer, so yeah. in that case you would assume they would try to shut down the receiver, but they, yeah. they didn't. And, and, I mean, we we could spend more time <laughs> kind of breaking down like what, what exactly middle Tennessee Steve did or didn't do to prepare for that game, but – you know, it doesn't take much no. <laughs> scouting of JMU to have assumed that uh, Chris Thornton was going to get targeted a lot in that game, and he's able to get open. So is it a case where he's just that good at running his routes, or did Middle Tennessee State completely you know, blow their preparation for that game? Will he be able to get open against better teams? I- I'm sure he'll be open at times, but or will we see, okay – we're double covering him. We're really going to try to, you know, take him out of the offense. And then it's a guy like Reggie Brown or, you know, any of the other guys we mentioned who has a chance to really step up. I mean, I think we're going to see a breakout from Terrence Green at some point this year. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, he will find ways open. I don't think he'll find, like, you know, against better teams. I don't think we're going to see him screeching down the field wide open like he did against, you know, Middle Tennessee and Norfolk State. But I think he'll find ways. He'll get the ball, of course. I mean, that's kind of the offense kind of going through him right now. And, but Reggie Brown, he had the first two touchdowns against Middle Tennessee. You know, that's something that right there tells me, like, this is, like, nothing to freak out about when your first two touchdowns of the year went to the technically wide yeah. receiver two or three, however you want to put it, and, and then Thornton got going in the second half against them. Yeah, although I will point out that uh, he had Chris wide open in the first quarter. And he missed three. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it very easily could have been. But it doesn't really negate the overall point that – there's depth. There's lots of guys to throw the ball at. Um, you know, offensive line, running game, running backs all looked as dominant as you would expect against Norfolk State. They got multiple running backs involved. My guy who I was really high on in the uh, preseason freshman, Wayne Knight, struggling a little bit to get any yardage, but he's getting some looks. Um, I think he's still a guy who eventually will contribute to JMU, maybe even, you know, able to do it on special teams or something this season but you know you got what you expect out of you know Percy, Kalon Black, uh, Sal- Sammy Malinagi comes in there and 
you know, plays really well. Running game was exactly what you would expect, I would think. Yeah, I mean, four touchdowns from the running backs after they didn't score anything in week one, you know. The running back room is alive now and in well. And that also, I think, shows, you know, for the future, it's harder for teams to prep now. Now you, you show a game where you throw the ball around, throw six touchdowns. Next game, you, you have four touchdowns on the ground and another three through the air or four through the air. So I think, that you know, it's good tape to have. Now teams are like, oh, they can produce on the ground. They can produce through the air. and just makes this team more well-rounded, more dangerous on offense. Yeah. Um, just quickly going back to defense, we talked about secondary. Divas of line, once again, was in control from the start. Linebackers continue to look really well. Is there any other concerns on the defense side of the ball besides the quarterback unit? I don't think so right now. I think that that's the main concern. I mean, the concern coming into the year was defensive line after losing a few guys, you know, retiring from football in camp. But the first two weeks, the defensive line has looked great. James Carpenter led the way in tackles at nose guard for the last week. So I think they'll be okay there. And I think, you know, in the Sun Belt, you want to win games, you got to control the, the line. And that's on both offense and defense. And I think that right now, Jamie's defensive line is showing that they're here to play. Yeah. Um, so bye week for JMU this yep. week. Got any plans for this weekend? Yeah, I'll be going to Baltimore, home opener for the Ravens against okay. the Miami Dolphins. Okay. Yeah. Um, so no JMU this week. We will, you know, really dive into Appalachian State next time we sit down to record. Uh, we'll know what the Mountaineers did hosting Troy for College Game Day in Boone this weekend. But there's a reason they're hosting College Game Day. They kind of stole it. And that's because not only did Appalachian State go in, get the big win at Texas A&M, the entire conference had an incredible week. And I think this is almost as much as it's Appalachian State's game day, I think ESPN kind of made this the Sun Belt's college game day based on what happened across the conference on Saturday. Yeah, I imagine we'll see some stories on game day about what Marshall did at Notre Dame. This story, two storied programs for different reasons. Marshall, you know, the story with them, Notre Dame just being a powerhouse, and they go in there and take care of business in South Bend. And then you have Georgia Southern, Clay Helton, game number two from the Clay Helton era, and they go in there and get in a shootout with Nebraska and beat them. And I thought that was interesting is this goes from a team that's very triple option based to all of a sudden a passing team and, and gets the job done against Nebraska. And, you know, almost to the day that Clay Helton got fired at USC, Nebraska's coach Scott Frost got fired after Clay Helton beat him. So. Yeah. I mean, if Georgia Southern and Nebraska played in the 90s, there might have been a total of five passes thrown <laughs> in the entire game. And now they're uh, both, you know, spread – teams you know tossing it all over the place getting into a shootout that that's interesting to see uh probably nothing symbolizes the evolution of college football <laughs> more than those two teams playing that style of game and georgia southern going into you know memorial stadium becoming the third largest city in the state of nebraska on game days and um getting a victory there yeah in front of eighty-eight thousand people i think you know it's, it's a good statement win for the sunbelt but the Sun Belt with three quality wins, all from the Sun Belt East. So if you're a JMU fan looking across the board, you're like, all right, this is this is going to be a, a tough schedule ahead because JMU plays all three of these teams. I'm just kicking it off with that for next week. Yeah, all three of those teams. Um, Coastal Carolina didn't look their best this weekend, but they've got a solid win against Army so far. Yeah. Maybe they fell into like the trap game situation <laughs> this week against Gardner-Webb. Uh, I still think you know that's a team that can challenge JMU, especially – when you're talking about the um, concern at cornerback, and they have one of the nation's best quarterbacks in Grayson McCall. Uh, Georgia State has lost two games, but they've lost 
competitive games to Power Five opponents, including North Carolina, which beat you know Appalachian State. Rumor has it North Carolina is joining the Sun Belt as an honorary <laughs> member now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like we'll see what happens with the next ACC TV deal. Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't be talking about ECU. We should be talking about UNC. But uh, no. Um, mentioning ECU, they got a good win against ODU, which didn't follow up its victory against um, Virginia Tech very well. But that Virginia Tech victory still happened, which gives the Sun Belt four really good Power Five wins. So the Sun Belt East, four yes, power five. yes, the Sun Belt East. Okay, let's talk about the West because I think the West has a shot to get in on this um, Power Five, quote unquote, upset. Um, Can I throw it out there? Can week? I throw one out there? You know, yeah. the last time, I think the last time Nick Saban lost. I saw a stat. It's been like 55 games since he lost to ULM. They play ULM this week. Do we put Alabama on upset on upset watch? Even though they're favored by 40. That was not the upset I was talking about. Damn. I, I, <laughs> Terry Bowden is, you know, awesome to hear on the call every week. I'm glad he's at. I ULM. love that man. Yes, uh, I love that. There's a guy named Boogie Knight in the Sun Belt. I don't think. ULM has much of a chance at Alabama, and I don't think that hurts the conference's reputation that much if they don't go into Alabama and get a victory this time around, even though the Warhawks have done it before. It's been a while. Nick Saban said this week he didn't forget that. Yeah. No, I think the West has a legit shot at a Power 5 upset this week. And I, I'm not – well, I wasn't talking about Texas State and Baylor. <laughs> If that happens, then this conference is absolutely loaded from top to bottom. <laughs> we'll just we'll just say that. Um, as you know, as much of a nice rebound as it was for Texas State this week to get a conference USA victory against FIU, um, I'm not expecting them to knock off Baylor. So, what is the game that I'm hinting at here that I think the West has a good shot at winning? That would be South Alabama going to UCLA. I. I honestly think you know that's not going to be that big of an upset if south alabama can pull that one off you know in front of you know what ucla have for their opener it looks like there was about ten thousand people in the stands no yeah there's there's more than that but it was like there's like twenty seven thousand. Yeah. was the smallest crowd they've had yeah but. you know if, if the sunbelt east teams can go into these gigantic pack stadiums and come out with uh <laughs> victories you know i don't think south alabama which i was somewhat high on going into the season and they've taken care of business it hasn't been they took down the Chippewas yeah you know they've kind of quietly had a good start to the season yeah compared to um you know (laughs) compared to what you know JMU sort of surprising people and then the big power five national tv upsets for some of the other teams South Alabama's kind of flown under the radar so far um you, you can throw Louisiana keeping their nation's longest winning streak alive too is something that's getting headlines uh when you've talked about how well the sunbelt's done so far a couple of like you know good solid wins for south alabama have kind of flown under the radar i i wouldn't be shocked at all if they go to ucla and win this week bowling green played them last week they got blown out but they did lead ucla at one point so i would not be surprised to see the jaguars go in there and at least take a lead and play competitive it, it, you know it might they might not win but it would still be a good sign for them to go in there and play a one or two score game against against the Bruins. Yeah, and another one in conference, in state, not far from here. ODU is going to UVA. 
the Monarchs have already got a scalp from a in-state ACC team taking down Virginia Tech to start the season. They didn't look so impressive at ECU. But it looks like looks like Mike Houston's got ECU going in the right direction for sure right now. Will ODU do it again, this time on the road, against a struggling UVA team? If UVA played like they did against Illinois, ODU walks in there and gets its second ACC win, and they, they improve the 2-0 and in the ACC, and you know may as well give them the ACC Coastal title. or Atlanta, I can't remember. It's Coastal, right? That's what the division they're in? I, think. I believe so, yes. Yes, I give them the title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what? So, ESPN headline, top headline on ESPN.com on Saturday was Sunbelt Supremacy. Uh, they choose game day. They're riding high on the Sunbelt right now. Obviously, beating two top 10 teams is huge. You got a couple teams that are right on the verge of entering the AP Top 25 poll. And could probably do it this week if they take care of business and some other teams lose. What's the storyline on the Sun Belt if they go and get these wins? If they beat, if they add UVA and UCLA to the list of conquests. <laughs> conquests, I like that. Yes. What's the storyline on the Sun Belt then this week? Is it giant has killers? It, well, has the nation moved on? It's like, oh, we expect this from the Sun Belt now. Or is it going to be like another week of like, wow, look at this conference? You know, I think I think this week was the, the statement wins. I think if they take care of business against those two teams, it might not be as blown out of proportion as it was this weekend, obviously, with two top ten teams falling. But I still think it would be two really good wins for this conference. And, and it will show that show nationally that, you know, last weekend wasn't a fluke. You know, it's more than just two teams getting the job, three teams getting the job done. It's five teams. And then it's like, okay, five of the 14 have power five wins. That would be something big. Yeah, and I think it helps in a couple of regards because it helps your conference champion survive maybe a loss or two in conference when you start talking about getting into – a major bowl game at the end of the season. I did see ESPN put out a bowl prediction, and and it had Marshall in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, which um, is a big deal because that's really the one thing the Sun Belt has not done yet as they've made their rise from being essentially the worst <laughs> FBS program for or best conference for you know, several years to you know being if not the very best, like they're right up there with. The Mountain West and the AAC now, especially if the AAC wants uh, Cincinnati and UCF and Houston are gone, then yeah, I think we're talking about conferences that are on the same level. Um, so getting that access bowl berth this season would be kind of huge because that's kind of the one breakthrough the Sun Belt hasn't had yet. Um, and right now, I mean, if you look at it, you know, BYU as an independent is kind of the highest ranked non-Power 5, non-Notre Dame team right now. But they're not in that you know group of five category because they're independent. So right now the Sun Belt champion would be in line for that bowl based on you know these early results. Yeah, and I mean, you know, when you look down the road a couple of years, you got the expanded playoff, and if the Sun Belt stays strong and plays like this, you know, you're talking about getting that spot, right, this for the conference champion. and. I think that's positive, but yeah, if Jay, if if the Sun Belt lands a conference champion, 
in a power, in a New York Six Bowl, I think that's gonna that makes probably puts the icing on the cake to Keith Gill of saying, you know, this expansion was at the right time, they had the right programs, and it, and it paid off. Yeah. Okay, so let's do quick predictions for those four games we talked about with um, okay. with, the, with the Sun Belt versus Power Fives. Okay. Well, tell me what's gonna happen in each one of them. Okay, Old Dominion win in Charlottesville, just over the mountain. Done. UCLA is gonna beat. USA, unfortunately. Uh, what am I missing here? Uh, so ULM's at Alabama and cover the spread, but they still lose. Yeah, I I give them the forty points, but they still lose. Yeah, and then Baylor's gonna beat Texas State. Yeah, tough week for Texas State to get Baylor. They're gonna be fired up to after losing to BYU. Yeah, they're not gonna want to lose two in a row, and not gonna be overlooking Texas State this week so no yeah i i'm with you i think odu has a very good shot at winning in charlottesville um probably similar to virginia tech going to be a close game uh but right now (laughs) there doesn't look to be like very much difference between the acc teams in the commonwealth and the other fbs teams in this state right now um and i'll go ahead and pick south alabama to win at UCLA, <laughs> I think I think they'll get that done. I think I think the S- SBC West wants to get in on this upset magic because ULM's going to do it. Yeah, they. Oh, <laughs> you said yes. Yeah. we got him here, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. I'm on the record. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they're going to do that. Uh, another game. We didn't talk about it's not the Power Five matchup, but I think Arkansas State at Memphis is a, another big one for the West, um, where they have a decent shot at picking up a solid win. And Louisiana on the road at Rice, I expect them to win. And I think we just talk about the perception of the Sun Belt and how that helps every team in the league, including JMU. I think having that nation's longest winning streak alive for another week or two is just another thing to point to. It's something I'm sure that's going to get mentioned on game day on Saturday. Um, it's going to be an infomercial for the Sun Belt. And, As Keith Gill put it. Yeah. And, you know, it's not game day at JMU for the third time in a decade, but it's going to be, I think, pretty big thing for JMU fans, especially when they can just stay home this weekend and sit in front of their TV and watch this. I mean, hypoth- let me put this out there. Hypothetically speaking, if an undefeated JMU plays an undefeated Marshall, does game day show up? I think that's quite possible. I mean, Especially that's a tall task to ask for, you know, both teams go undefeated in conference is. play to that point. But if that happens. It is. Because, I mean, if you look at the rest of the schedule that day, there aren't any other surefire, like, top 25 matchups. Um, so I think that's, you know, that would be a definite possibility if both of those teams are undefeated at that point. And you're talking about JMU having some good wins against, you know, the likes of App State and others by that point. You're talking about Marshall yep. having, you know, to that to date <laughs> having run the table with a win at Notre Dame um, and really looking like they're possibly that first first breakthrough Sun Belt team. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all, especially given – uh, the affinity the J- the uh, game day crew has for coming to Harrisonburg and uh, you know, a JMU alum as a you know prominent producer of all that. Somebody I, get Pat McAfee to Harrisonburg. Yeah. <laughs> eh. 
technically that one, but whoa, okay, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we covered just about everything we can cover before we head into a bye week. So we'll go ahead. We'll wrap this one up. We'll get ready to relax just a little bit this weekend, and you know, watch watch some other Sunbelt games from somewhere other than the press box, and yeah. We'll have plenty to talk about when we come back next week because uh, you may have heard Jamie's got a big one coming up on September 24th when they head down to Boone, North Carolina, to take on Appalachian State. So until then, I'm Shane Metlin. You've been listening to me and Noah Fleischman. This has been the Purple and Bold Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs>